Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. Today, we're taking you to California. I had the chance to talk to Tom O'Brien, who serves as a regional program manager for U.S. Disaster Relief. Tom has been working with Samaritan's Purse for two years and is based out of the Fullerton, California office. We wanted to get updates from the disaster response to the wildfires in California, but we also wanted to introduce you to him as he's newer to the staff. So my name is Tom O'Brien, and I am a regional program manager with Samaritan's Purse. My background's in the fire department. I served for 32 years in uh, a, a city fire department in Southern California, going through the ranks and um, uh, was involved in uh, hazardous materials calls. And uh, I was a, a leader of a hazmat team for uh, for a couple of decades and did a lot of teaching and instructing. And uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we began to volunteer uh, after I retired from the fire department. And... Um, was offered a full-time job by uh, Luther Harrison. As we were volunteering, we got to know uh, Luther pretty well, and he asked us to come on <clears throat> full-time. So uh, that's when I came on about two years ago as a uh, program manager. And now, as we've opened up an office, uh, I moved uh, uh, back to North Wilkesboro, and as we opened an office in California, he asked me to, to open that up. So in Fullerton, California now, is our NAM office, and we work uh, uh, right next to Disneyland, and uh, that's where we've responded from uh, in this last uh, uh, fire deployment. I love that. I love how your your background and your giftings um, are be able to use for Samaritan's Purse, and the fact that you get to be in California, so you get to go back to your home state. Yeah, and 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 as those of us that are uh, Christians that have walked this world or walked this earth uh, very long, we see that these aren't coincidences. Mm-hmm. This is just the hand of God. Uh, in our lives, uh, continually bring into the ministry um, uh, people that, uh, uh, that God is not done with yet. He can actually mm-hmm. still use us to, to bless others, and it's just such a, uh, a blessing to be part of the ministry. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that, Tom, that you first volunteered with Samaritan's Purse. So that was your first exposure. How did volunteering either shape your faith, you know, or challenge you, um, and then maybe even encourage you to get involved in full-time ministry? Ah, yes. Now, we uh, we first started with uh, Samaritan's Purse uh, back in the 80s as donors, and we have uh, we've donated uh, for decades. Um, and just always, uh, I always saw that uh, Samaritan's Purse was always so, um, so uh, uh, such great stewards with the, the money, making sure that the majority of it, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't exactly remember the numbers, but it was everything was uh, was done so well and so professionally that we uh, we've been donors for uh, uh, for decades. And and uh, when I did retire, uh, I thought I want to be involved in some of uh, these um, these hurricanes. Now I, I was born and raised in California, so I've, uh, for a Californian to understand a tornado or a hurricane, it's as foreign as as uh, landing on the moon. You just you just really can't get your head wrapped around what is actually happening. And the destruction that happened. So my wife and I, we went to uh, see South Carolina for Hurricane Matthew, and uh, there was a town called Bluffton that was hit so hard, and we ended up going out and serving there. And the Lord used uh, the the gifts and skills that I'd been using for my entire fire career, using chainsaws and 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 helping people. And uh, and it was um, one of these things where the Lord just kind of began to speak to us and and. Uh, telling us how we could be used by him 
to to bless others. And uh, the uh, focus of the ministry, it was was another part that really caught my heart. And it was that yes, the work needs to get done, but it's not about the work so much. It's about the people, and that's what really um, uh, drew me as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. I know. I love that too. It's yes, the physical needs are important, but it is the spiritual needs. You know, it's like Jesus with the woman at the well. You know the the water here on earth, you know, will always thirst for more, but the the water that Jesus offers, you know, we will never thirst again. And you're right to be able to meet a physical need, but then be able to share the hope and the hope of Jesus um, and make an eternal impact is really exciting to be a part of. For uh, the, my time in the fire department, uh, sharing your faith as a mm. uh, firefighter was always kind of you, you know you you got to be careful. You, you're going to offend people and and. Uh, and I mean, most uh, municipalities are not uh, Christian environments, although they have very many Christians there. But in specifically with Samaritan Church, we're there for their for them to show them God's love. And many times they'll they'll ask us, "What what is it that is? Why are you here? I can't even get my own family to come and help me, but you guys are here. Why are you different?" By by them, um, uh, you know, just seeing God's love for them. Uh, it's so great to be able to preach the gospel uh, in these environments. And uh, that uh, in itself is just makes life really gives not just a volunteer purpose, but also that that homeowner to be able to be there for that homeowner uh, when they accept the Lord is is such a neat place to be. So, um, so I love hearing your background. Yeah. I always love to hear how people are called, um, to work with Samaritan's Purse. So here you are, you know, in California, um, and the West coast is just being hit with wildfires. Can you talk to me about the, the, the response Samaritan's Purse is doing to these wildfires? Yeah. So, um, that's why, uh, our uh, location is so important being in Fullerton, California. Uh, and, um, so, by decentralizing from North Wilkesboro with uh, North American Ministries and having offices in Texas and in California, it's so important. During this time of year, uh, things begin to dry out in California. And as they begin to dry out, uh, whether it be a, a gender reveal that got uh, so much airplay or whether it be dry lightning strike, um, from, uh, which is the uh, event we're on now with, um, in Santa Cruz. Uh, right now, there's been over 5 million acres that have been burned. Each year, we're seeing more and more uh, of these large fires. Last year, uh, two years ago, I believe, it was the Paradise Fire, 14,000 homes in a single event. And that was from electrical wires uh, that arced and sparked and began a, a fire that was driven by 90-mile-an-hour winds on a very hot day. So this time of year particularly, uh, the West is so vulnerable Uh the wildfires, uh, almost just like the East, is vulnerable to the hurricane. Uh, that's that hurricane season we all speak about. So um, uh, uh, what is exactly causing it? I don't know, but I believe that we got a God who loves us intensely. And um, these fires, I think, is just a, a, um, uh, why they're happening. I know, uh, I know uh, that, uh, you know, Fuels do dry out. Winds do happen. And uh, with 40 million people living in California, there are opportunities uh, for definitely for some disasters to happen. But I believe uh, that as we respond to these to these uh, these horrible things, uh, most people run from them. They evacuate. 
but at the right time, we'll run in and be able to, to not just bring help, but bring the gospel. And as long as these, these fires do continue to happen, we're going to continue to be here to show people God's love, to give them the gospel, and to tell them there is hope. Uh, our hope is, is, and the answer is not in, in uh, reversing global warming so much as it is in uh, bowing your knee to the Lord and accepting him as Lord and Savior. That's where real hope is found, and that's what we'll continue to do. Mm-hmm. What is that like for you, a, a, a former firefighter? You know, you're used to running into the fire. Now you're running in, like you said, afterwards to help them sift through things. What is that like coming in at that time now? Well, um, and, and doing the firefighting thing is, is such a rewarding career because you're you're making an immediate change in people's lives uh, for the better, uh, stopping you know the ravages of fire in its tracks, and uh, you can see the change. Now, as uh, in this uh, in that disaster cycle, where you have the emergency, which is where the fire happens, but then there's that recovery phase of that emergency cycle, and that's with the part that's in first place. So we actually shoulder are uh, with other um, volunteer organizations that are active in disaster, like the Southern Baptist, uh, with UMCOR, uh, with uh, Team Rubicon, uh, and, and many other uh, organizations. And it really is kind of neat uh, for me to be able to, to still be involved in assisting people in their great time of need. And for other volunteers that maybe were never firefighters, but to be able to, uh, to uh, create an environment to where they can see that they're not here, uh, for instance, in the uh, fires in uh, Santa Cruz. They're not here just to folk, uh, to sift through ashes and find items uh, that were remnants of what they were, like a gold ring or a, a tennis bracelet or, uh, you know, a, a grandma's ring. We're not there to just find those items. We're there to return these heirlooms that have so much memory. They're so precious to these homeowners. So to be there in this, uh, environment is still so satisfying, and um, you can't always uh, be the one uh, <clears throat> on the hose line or carrying the child out on the ladder. Uh, there's a time when you have to say goodbye to that, and uh, but there's but there's also a time when when you say, "But Lord, I can still do something. What can I do, Lord?" And it's it's a small way of saying, "Here I am, Lord, send me," and that's what Samaritan First offers volunteers. Um, by giving them proper training, by creating an environment where they have all the right CPDs and they have focus, they have work scope where they can go in and they are trained what exactly to do and they can see the immediate difference in these people's lives. For instance, when they when they when I show them exactly how to shift and how to find items that may be those rings, those uh, items that were so important. Sometimes it's even a cup. Uh, there were uh, in in one case I I, I was teaching. Uh, folks how to, uh, to sift properly and where to find items of value based on when a home burns and it does collapse. And uh, they were able to find a broken cup. Now, most people would say that broken cup has no value. But when they brought those items uh, to the homeowner, the homeowner told that volunteer, she said, oh my goodness, this is the cup that my daughter had made for me. She fired it and made for me. And um, this is so important to me because she made this just uh, uh, two months before she died of uh, leukemia. And if you, if you just think, oh, my goodness, we were able to find all of the, the broken pieces of that cup, and the homeowner was able to glue it together. And that meant more to her 
than finding any buried treasure ever. Uh, the gold and silver of the world cannot replace that cup. And it's those kind of things where, where volunteers can see that, that um, as they serve, uh, they can affect a change and be, have a way of demonstrating God's love to people they don't even know. And they can never possibly thank them. And it, when you're there thinking you're serving, the volunteer thinks, well, I'll go there and I'll help somebody. What they don't realize is what they get back in exchange is more many times than they ever think they could ever possibly get. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned helping homeowners sift through, um, you know, their, the remnants of their home. How does Samaritan's Purse assess, you know, and find out these families that need help? You're, you're in, you mentioned you're in Santa, Santa Cruz, California, you know, but I know we have teams in Oregon as well. How do you all find those that need help? So uh, what we'll do initially is we'll, we'll come in and meet with the uh, state, local, and even federal uh, officials uh, as we come into an area. We'll, we'll meet with them, and uh, I'll, I'll let them know that, hey, we are from Samaritan's Person. We are here to do an assessment and find out if, if we're able to respond. Once we determine that there is a ministry component, that, that, excuse me, that there are uh, enough, there is enough work for us to be able to, to have volunteers come in and and be able to do the work that we'd like to do, uh, then then what we'll do is I'll I'll start uh, we'll, we'll generate a, a couple of phone numbers for local phones so that they can, we have one for um, homeowners and then we'll have another phone for volunteers and then we'll start publishing that number through all of the churches in the area. So any of the churches, as they will use them uh, as a means of getting that message out. Now, back in the, in, uh, back in the day, the church used to be the center point of every, of every city. That was the place where everybody went for their business meetings, for their, for their city meetings. They were all done at the church. Uh, if anybody needed help, they always went to the church. And that's what we like to do is still use that church as that center point of information and help and hope. So we'll uh, uh, use the churches. We'll also get on uh, social media. Uh, COVID has made this a little more difficult to be, able to be able to get the message out in that people aren't able to really gather like they used to be. So we'll use social media as well through the churches, through Samaritan's Purse, and through the city to be able to get folks. Because in a fire, what they'll do is they'll uh, have to find housing. Many times the housing market becomes saturated in the area where the disaster was. So they'll have to be two, sometimes even three hours away as they live with families. But they'll maintain uh, like a Facebook um, messenger or Facebook uh, bulletin board. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll use as many social media platforms as we can to be able to get that message out so that we can help uh, and, and to advertise one for volunteers, but the other is for the homeowners. Uh, so we can get them the help they need. And uh, in this case, here in Santa uh, Santa Cruz County, there was over 900 homes that were completely destroyed. So getting that message out to everybody is, is so important, and we just don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. So that it's really um, a uh, almost a full-time job to make sure we get that message out of what we can do for those homeowners. Yeah, I imagine it's it's always challenging because people have evacuated and are displaced, but then you add COVID to the mix. Um, and I'm sure, is it harder to find volunteers for this response? Yeah, volunteers, um, it, it, uh, I think it has presented its challenges, no doubt. Uh, those who were um, high risk uh, in the past 
uh, uh, with that extended, um, extenuating circumstances and uh, health conditions. They um, may decide not to volunteer because they have uh, a type 2 diabetes or some other uh, health condition that may put them at risk. So they would, they would not volunteer during a COVID time. What we at Samaritan's First want to do is do the best we can to provide a safe uh, environment to volunteer. So we require that any overnight volunteers have a COVID test. Now, those COVID tests are becoming more and more easy to get a hold of uh, to be able to be tested. And the turnaround time is getting better. Um, but it's just to make sure that the that those uh, volunteers who come and stay a 24-hour period um, uh, don't have COVID as as they uh, as they come in. So uh, a negative test result is mandatory. But then what we'll also do is we'll test all of the volunteers uh, twice a day that uh, they're overnight volunteers. The day volunteers will test them with a temperature uh, only. So uh, overnight volunteers are temperature tested twice a day, and the day volunteers are tested uh, as they arrive. As long as they have a temperature that's uh, in a normal range, then they're allowed to volunteer. But if they're starting to exhibit signs of that could be uh, COVID-related, then uh, unfortunately we would have to ask them not to volunteer that day. So it has presented a little bit of a, a trouble, um, I'm sure, for some. Uh, but still, I believe uh, where God leads, God provides, and uh, and He certainly has provided exactly what our needs have been. And that's what I was going to ask because I know we can't do this work without the volunteers. You know, it is so important. Um, but yeah, how have you seen God provide exactly what you needed each day? And so, uh, and, and it's great. It's, that's a great question because um, on on Saturday you'd normally expect more people to come on Saturday, and that was clearly the case. Uh, and uh, so all these volunteers come, and not a single one had a had a high temperature. And it was uh, uh, over seventy volunteers. I think we had seventy nine volunteers on Saturday, but then on Monday is very typically a light day. But we had one home uh, owner that um, had called on behalf of seven others on one piece of property. They had eight tiny homes. And a tiny home is maybe a just a 400-square-foot uh, home. It's just a very tiny thing, sometimes two-story. But they had all burned down. And he was so desperate for help. And that was the only day he could get, get that help was on Monday. On Monday, we had over 40 volunteers show up to uh, to volunteer completely unexpected and uh and but it was exactly what we needed to be able to to uh get um those homeowners all eight of them on one large uh five acre piece of property to get them the help they needed and it was just again uh the lord uh meeting our the needs of that homeowner with these lovely volunteers I love those stories. You know, it's just like the fish and the loaves of bread. It's like God doesn't want us to do the miracle. He'll do that. He'll call the people and surprise us and provide what we what we need. But um, just be faithful and obedient. And I love that. I love those kind of stories. Me too. They, they and, and I we see them. Um, and sometimes uh, in in my position, which is really a support role, if I'm doing it right. Um, I see it as a, as a support role to empower the volunteers, to make sure they have their tools, equipment, and, and the ability to be able to do the things that I'll be honest, I wish I could still do uh, and be out there doing all that work. But God still allows um, allows all of us, whether we're a cook, 
whether we're volunteering in any capacity at all, or even if you're just a, a program manager, uh, making sure that the, that the uh, ship is steering its course, we still get to see these things. Sometimes from that 50,000-foot uh, view level, we get to see God's hand working, and uh, it's just so awesome. We really do serve an awesome God who cares about us and is, in, in, is still intimately involved in the details and cares of our lives. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And I know, like we talked about earlier, you know, Samaritan's Purse, they do want to bring physical relief, but the true, the true health they want to help is spiritual healing, you know, in Jesus' name. And, I, and I've heard and I've read reports of people coming to Christ, you know, through your response and through these deployments. But can you talk to me how that affects your team um, and affects you personally to see God working in hearts and in lives through these hard, you know, difficult times, God is still working. Yes, amen. He is, and it really does uh, impact everybody. So um, so we would be remiss if we did not mention our uh, chaplain. So uh, our chaplains um, are, are so great. They, we don't go anywhere. Uh, we don't go anywhere without our chaplain. Uh, they always come with us. Um, they're such an invaluable asset. Uh, as, as we come out, many times um, we'll be speaking with homeowners, and sometimes they'll, uh, I've been speaking with homeowners and uh, when I was uh, volunteering out at the sites working, and I've had uh, homeowners tell me, when I ask them, how are you doing through all this? Uh, are, are you doing okay? Uh, I remember one case, a gentleman told me, he said, you know, I'm just about ready to call it quits. I'm ready to just, uh, just call it quits. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm just tired of listening. And I thought, wow, that's not the time to play a uh, uh, psychologist. This, this, this poor soul needs help. I said, you know what? I'll be right back. I got on the phone, got one of our chaplains on the phone. He came right out. He spent about three hours with that homeowner. And by the end of that time, he was already starting to feel better. But they don't just stop there. You're not going to fix a, a, that kind of a problem in just a little bit of time. He got that, uh, that homeowner. Uh, continued help. That, that person, from what I understand, they had like two or three, four months of help because of interaction with that chaplain. But our chaplains are part of our share time at night, so their 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 value is is just so so immense. They're 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 trained on how to deal um, with uh, with crisis and homeowners and to give them that hope. And uh, and a lot of times they'll give us some great pointers on, on how we can best even share our faith using uh, a uh, uh, step to peace. And so uh, our volunteers, uh, they love sharing the gospel. And uh, and on one case, on this deployment, our volunteers were sharing the gospel with uh, with some homeowners, um, but the homeowners were very close, but just not quite ready. And as the chaplain, uh, one of our chaplains came by, he said, hey, how are you guys doing? They, you know, uh, as Paul says, uh, one uh, person waters and another, uh, another associate, another waters. Well, uh, at, at this time, uh, this homeowner and his wife were together, and again, uh, this chaplain gave gave them uh, the gospel, and it was just their time. And uh, they both accepted the Lord as uh, they as Lord and Savior. They prayed prayed a prayer, a prayer of repentance and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior right there. And and as they were um, being ministered to by that chaplain, there was uh, as the team lead told me. There was five of our uh, volunteers all together huddled around praying. So you can see the picture of volunteers praying, a, a chaplain uh, being used by God with with a husband and wife team there, 
he was 80 years old and she was uh, in her early 70s and they both accepted Christ. And so as that whole story got to be told at night for, for all the team members that weren't there, everybody you could just see was just, uh, was just so excited about that kind of thing because these are destinies changed. And uh, me personally... It's just so exciting to hear those kind of things, uh, to, to know that we're not just straightening the deck chairs on the Titanic uh, as the ship is going down. Uh, we're not just uh, improving somebody's life just for a moment or restoring a couple of items just for a moment without ever having a lasting change. Um, it, it's, uh, if, if somebody's life is truly in danger because they haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, uh, then, then by all means, if they're willing to listen, we're willing to give them the gospel. And that's, um, that always gets a, a, a big round of applause, and everybody gets so excited when there is a salvation in the camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we even get to see that in our volunteers, those who come out to volunteer to work with us, and they see there's a difference. And God may put them with the exact right other volunteer, where suddenly they're met face-to-face with, uh, with God's love, and and as you and I both know, God's love is just so irresistible. And I think we're specifically designed to want more of it. And and that uh, that in itself will draw people right to the, the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. That is so awesome. And I'm I'm glad that you brought attention to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Rapid Response Team because you're right; those chaplains. You know, Samaritan's Purse doesn't like to go anywhere without the chaplains, and so it's a partnership. And like you said. And I've heard the chaplains say before, you know, they're there, yes, for the the homeowners and the beneficiaries, but they're also there for the staff and for the volunteers, you know, because sometimes they're pouring out so much and they get weary and tired and they need encouragement and hope. And so, and you're right. And some don't know Christ, you know, they come maybe having head knowledge of, of God, a volunteer, but they don't truly know Christ. And so, um, you're right. The chaplains are just invaluable. And I'm glad that you highlighted them because, it's like the body of Christ, you know, we need all parts, you know, we need the eyes, the ears, the arms, you know, and so you need people to get in and, and do the work, um, but then you need chaplains. I mean, you need it all. And, and you're right, you never know who's ready and what seeds have been sown. Um, and so we just need to be faithful and do our part. Um, and I love that. That's just the body of Christ in action. Um, and so I'm sure you know, you personally, and then as a team, I'm sure there's been many scriptures that have been encouraging during this time, but is there anything that you're learning right now or that you've shared with a homeowner or heard somebody uh, really been meaningful during this these fires? Yes, and it is, uh, it is um, through a, uh, a devotional one of the chaplains gave the other day, and it was uh, regarding God's love for us. And, and uh, it, it's uh, how deep his love is for us. And it's, it's a lifelong journey, as, as um, Billy Graham had mentioned. Uh, it's a lifelong journey um, to, to really dig into the depth of how much he does love us. Uh, and and that's, uh, in, in, uh, the obvious one is, is John 3.16. But it, and it may have been, uh, um, it's used so often, but it's, it's so deep uh, and so um, immeasurable but how, how much he gave his only son. And uh, those of us that do have children, like, like you had mentioned, you have uh, your two and, and I have uh, four children. Uh, would I be willing to give my only child 
for those who presently hate me uh, and who who really don't love me at all and do everything opposed to me, would you give that for your enemy? Uh, and uh, and that's what Jesus, that's what God did for us in in Jesus. And uh, that in itself, John three sixteen is is uh, is just the, that depth of of love that is immeasurable. And I think that would probably be the one that we see so often because that's really uh, why Merton's uh, person does what we do is because of his love for us. Mm-hmm. That is so yeah. good. Um, and I know throughout our conversation, you've you've given us ideas, but can you tell us, um, tell the listeners how they can specifically be praying for the families that are affected by the wildfires, but also for your team that's that's deploying right now? So uh, specifically for our team, anytime the, that um, that the Lord wants to do a work, uh, Satan is there to always counteract and to uh, to put up resistance <clears throat> and to attack. Sometimes even from the inside, uh, but uh, mostly from the uh, from the outside is, is our. We would need prayer as we move into an area that really is a battlefield uh, for for people's souls. Uh, now we're there to show people God's love. And we've seen a number of different attacks coming at us uh, to try to stop a work that we're doing. And uh, so specifically praying that God would put a hedge of protection around our camp, that people's eyes and ears would be open, that they would listen to the gospel, that they would desire to see uh, change in their lives, and that they would be willing to... to uh, to make a change in their life for the better. That's uh, so protection, and then also that we would be able to uh, be able to preach the gospel freely and openly. Um, and in, in many cases, there have been um, times that uh, folks are asking if they would not like any prayer at all, and it just breaks your heart because. Um, uh, they're not happy people, and they're they're uh, denying the very ones who love them so much. But we'll still show them God's love. We don't we don't mind. We're well. We're going to continue to throw seed and water, and uh, we're going to continue on. And uh, and it, it, sometimes even even more so, uh, just make sure they understand God loves them, and we're going to do the very best we can, uh, regardless. And we're going to serve them as, as just so faithfully, but just so that they would open their eyes and ears. And, uh, and be aware of their surroundings, maybe for the first time to really understand where they're at in life, that, uh, that everything sometimes in a, in a wildfire can be taken from them. But what we hope to give them is something that can never be taken away. I loved hearing Tom's heart for the gospel and serving people in a great time of need. And I love the way that God calls the right people at the right time to serve in the ministry. How fitting to have a former firefighter ministering to people in times of this crisis with the wildfires. I love the way that he began as a volunteer and the Lord called him to work full-time. I hope you are blessed and encouraged as I was to hear his heart and the updates from California. Thank you for being part of this response through your prayer and your support. I was reminded today reading Luke 10, how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I'm gonna close by reading Luke 10, one through three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I know that ministry isn't easy, and sometimes you get weary or under attack. And so I pray that this reminder encourages you today to stay the course. Your work is important for the kingdom. Thank you for serving and thank you for listening. Have a great week.